understand that we are doing everything we possibly can and we are never going to give up. You know, if I am lucky enough to serve in this position 20 more years, even after that, I still won't be giving up if it's not solved by then. I just, I'm not, give up is not in my vocabulary. I don't give up. From Trembling Leaf Media in Minneapolis, this is the Simply Vanished Podcast. I'm Josh Newville. And I'm Kathy Lee. Kathy and I would like to thank Chime, the most downloaded banking app, for supporting Simply Vanished. With payday up to two days early and fee-free overdrafts of up to $200, they offer financial peace of mind. See for yourself why Chime is so loved at chime.com slash simplyvanished. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash simplyvanished. Start living a better life today. In 2018, Susana Escoberto, or Susie, as she was known, was a 25-year-old young mom with two children, one son and a daughter. Living in Seadrift, a tiny Texas town near the Gulf of Mexico, she was described as caring, playful, and sweet someone who laughed a lot. Married to Chris in 2017, the couple had just recently welcomed their daughter, who was born in April, only four months before Susie would go missing. She had previously worked as a server at the nearby La Teresa Mexican restaurant, but had stopped after having her daughter working instead at taking care of her children and the home. Her husband, Chris, father to her infant, worked long hours in his physically demanding job as a welder. Now, August 2nd, 2018 was a normal Thursday. Chris was at work while Susie did chores in the RV that was their home. She was texting Chris throughout the day just to keep him updated on things and telling him that she was doing laundry and other chores. According to Chris, this texting ceased around 1 o'clock that afternoon. When his shift ended at 7 p.m., he clocked out and headed home, arriving shortly after. According to Chris, when he entered their RV, his four-month-old daughter was alone drinking out of her bottle. Susie's cell phone was left charging and her keys were still in the home, but Susie was nowhere to be seen. It did not appear that Susie took any of her belongings. It was as if she simply disappeared. Now, it's unclear who exactly notified the police that something was wrong, but by 11 o'clock that night, authorities were conducting a search of the Seadrift and nearby Port O'Connor areas. Based on her husband Chris's report that their baby was still drinking from a bottle when he walked in, Police theorized that Susie had to have left only a short time before Chris made it home. Almost immediately, they were treating this as a missing persons case, and possibly more. They stated publicly that they didn't believe that Susie left of her own free will, but did not specify what it was specifically that led them to that conclusion. The search on Thursday night continued into Friday morning and through the weekend. It was an interdepartmental search that included the Texas Rangers and the Coast Guard. They scoured the area, employing canines, helicopters, ATVs, boats, and even drones. When searches turned up nothing, authorities conducted interviews and made appeals to the public. Assistance of the community is extremely important right now, said Chief Deputy Johnny Krause. He also attempted to discourage people from forming their own search parties, stating that it might compromise the investigation to have untrained people wandering the area. 
He did, however, ask local farmers and ranchers to check their properties for anything out of place or unusual. When Sunday rolled around and there were no leads and the investigation seemed to be stalling, Susie's family coordinated their own search. In addition to word of mouth, they utilized a Facebook group they had created in order to gather information, organize their own efforts, and just generally spread awareness of their missing loved one. In a town with a population of only 1,500, almost 50 people showed up to aid the search. They also printed and posted around 800 missing person flyers in the surrounding areas. Her family was convinced that something was wrong, as Susie would never have left like that, but they maintained a real hope that she would be found. When the weekend search proved unsuccessful, Chief Deputy Krause announced on Sunday that the organization Texas EquiSearch would be joining the efforts. According to their website, EquiSearch is a nonprofit that was founded in 2000 by Tim Miller following the kidnapping and murder of his 16-year-old daughter in 1984. Relying entirely on volunteers, it was started as a horse-mounted search and rescue team and has since evolved, now employing drones, boats, aircrafts, and ground-penetrating radars, among other tools. Since its founding, EquiSearch has assisted law enforcement in thousands of cases, receiving numerous awards and becoming globally recognized. As the founder and director Tim Miller put it, many, many times we are the last resort and the only resort for the families. EquiSearch works closely with the local law enforcement and will only assist in an investigation if the request is approved by the assigned investigating agency. Having been approved, EquiSearch descended upon the small town on Monday, August 6th, with about 20 volunteers who were paired with more than 40 locals to aid law enforcement. John Rugg, an EquiSearch representative, told volunteers to use all of their senses as they searched, telling them to look for fresh tire tracks or anything that could have fallen from a woman's purse or off her body, telling them to be alert for insect activity and noise, and telling them you'll hear fruit flies and stuff like that. While EquiSearch worked, scouring the overgrown fields, walking the shoulders of roadways, and piloting drones, investigators seized the mobile home where Chris and Susie had lived in an effort to protect the scene and preserve evidence. They collected forensic samples, including fingerprints, to be sent for testing, and without sharing anything that was found, Chief Deputy Krause made it clear that they did not think that Susie just walked away, calling it common sense that she didn't leave of her own free will. He said, quote, we have a missing person who shouldn't be missing. We assume something bad has happened, or she would have shown up already. In the days that followed, though still without offering any specifics, police continued to publicly imply that Susie was a victim of foul play. And Susie's family strongly reinforced that idea. Her brother-in-law, Osil Antiveros, said that it was nothing like Susie to leave her four-month-old daughter behind. She was a great mom who always took her daughter with her everywhere she went and was never late picking up her seven-year-old son. Osil explained that the family was devastated by Susie's absence, and he thanked those in the community who had come out to help. As the searches continued, there remained very little in the way of leads. The following Sunday, Sheriff Bobby Vickery said that, Right now, we don't know a whole lot. We're praying for her safe return. We're still working off of what evidence we've got. With nothing else to go on, the police expanded their search area and re-interviewed family and potential witnesses. This expanded search ran into some problems, though. Part of it was due to the large swaths of land that needed to be covered, and partly due to the temperatures that raised as high as 105 degrees. Authorities had to pause the search on Thursday, citing the need to preserve their searchers, instead using the time to plan and coordinate the various departments for when it cooled enough to allow them to continue. 
We've had people ready to pass out from the heat, EquiSearch Director Miller said. Let's don't just burn out these resources and save some of these things for when we need them, and I'm very optimistic that that day is coming. Chief Deputy Krause assured everyone that, despite this pause, the search would continue on. There is nothing new at this moment. I will be meeting with the Texas Rangers Monday morning. The investigation is ongoing. We're continuing to search. We're not anywhere close to giving up on her. On Saturday, August 11th, more than 75 people gathered for a vigil at the local pavilion. Speakers shared encouraging words to attendees and prayed together. Her brother-in-law, Osil, prayed that whatever situation she's in, she'll get out of it and come back home. We still have high hopes. It's been a while. We're still keeping our heads high and hoping something comes out of this. The chief of police was also in attendance at the vigil, and he made a speech commenting on their interdepartmental efforts and telling the attendees that the most important thing that they needed right then was information. I've been the chief of police here for six years now. I've been part of the police department for nine years. Nothing like this has ever happened. And it's been hard for us. We've been working long hours trying to find her. We don't have any leads right now, not any credible leads. And that's what we're looking for right now. And I appreciate everybody coming out here and uh, being part of this. The family continued to hope, continued to hand out flyers, and continued to appeal to anybody with any information to come forward. I'm desperate because we've had no answers, Susie's father, Julian Rodriguez, said in one interview. After handing out flyers, I hope to hear more good news about my daughter. Without closure, we're grieving a loss. By August 20th, which was almost three weeks after Susie was last seen, EquiSearch was forced to halt their efforts. Susie's sister, Brenda, assured people that they would be coming back, stating that they were out of options until there was new information, because up until that point, there hadn't been much in the way of leads. Chief Deputy Krause said that the police, too, were frustrated with the lack of information. Despite posts on Susie's disappearance being shared thousands of times on social media, he said they had yet to receive a single substantial tip, though they would continue to work on it. We are hoping something will unlock the door, he said. One month after Susie's disappearance, it seemed that they were no closer to solving what had happened than they had been on that first day. Her husband, Chris, noted the occasion, posting images of their small family and writing a Facebook post that said, in part, Tomorrow it will be a month of my wife gone missing. Time passes, but not one day goes by that you are not here in my heart. The day you went missing was not just a day on a calendar. It was the day when my whole world changed forever. It's really hard for me to wake up every morning and not see your pretty smile. At nights when all we did was cuddle and laugh together, or after getting off work, I'll come home and see you smiling and cooking me dinner. No one knows how many times I have broken down and cried. You're so wonderful to think of, but so hard to be without. I feel so empty inside without you, my love. We want you back so bad. To whoever has my wife, just let her go so she can be with her family once again. Chris's daughter, Susie's stepdaughter, echoed these sentiments, posting a response that included, I feel the same. I can't live without Susie. She was a woman who finally made me feel happy. I was so sad before I met her, and I always hid the sadness. But when I met her, my mind was like, you found someone who gets you. My best present was stolen. Through it all, loved ones and locals wished for more transparency from their law enforcement. Here's a clip of Susie's uncle, Jose Vallejo, talking to KAVU-TV out of Victoria. We have many questions, but we have no answers. Who do we turn to? We call authorities, but they don't tell us anything. It's just an empty feeling she's left in our family. 
While law enforcement continued their silence, the community continued their own efforts. I don't think it's an understatement to say that the small community's response to one of their own going missing was incredible. When they could search, they searched, and during the intense Texas summer heat, they offered up their boats, their ATVs, their drones. When they couldn't search, they organized donations for those who could, gathering water and sunscreen and snacks, among other supplies. Local restaurants like Bubba's Seafood and Hardee's donated meals for the search parties. Castaway Lodge gave out their rooms to the volunteers that had traveled to participate. If those rooms became full, locals went on to Susie's Facebook page to offer up room in their own homes. Locals didn't stop with simply searching, however. Within days, over a thousand missing person flyers were printed and handed out to people or posted to every available surface. When the surrounding areas were thoroughly canvassed, they solicited donations for a bake sale and raffle with proceeds to be donated to the EquiSearch team to allow them to continue their work. While raffles are by no means a novel fundraiser idea, it was the raffle prizes that I found particularly interesting. They were quite varied and went far beyond the more typical local business certificates or gift baskets. Personally, my two favorites were the 14 yards of gravel or the guided fishing trip that were nestled among the photo shoot or the cleaning services. It highlighted the fact that people in the community were being creative to donate whatever they could and help in whatever way they could. Indeed, they ended up raising more than $650 for the nonprofit search team. For almost a year, the investigation appeared to languish. It wasn't until June 17, 2019, when locals noticed law enforcement activity at the Liberty Arms boat and RV storage. More on that after these words from our sponsors. Please note that BetterHelp Therapy Online is not a crisis line. If you or a loved one are experiencing a mental health emergency, consider dialing 988 in the United States. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash simplyvanished. Start living a better life today. I know that it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with challenges in life instead of becoming consumed by the problems that we face. But when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's really no better feeling. And a therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it far easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. Regardless of our personalities, our backgrounds, and life experiences, we can all use help solving problems, especially when those problems relate to our own well-being. You know, personally, my instinct is to put my own health, both mental and physical, on the back burner while dealing with other problems in life. Truth be told, I've done too much of that these past few years. Therapy is a healthy and surefire way to prevent that from happening for too long. Just like scheduling workouts and physical therapy sessions can help us ensure that our bodies get the physical training and treatment that they need, scheduled therapy sessions can help us ensure that we're treating our emotional injuries and exercising our mental health skills. Everyone deserves to feel their best. And with BetterHelp, it's easier to get started. They provide all of the benefits of in-person therapy, Plus, it's more convenient, more accessible, and more affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist, and if things aren't clicking, hey, you can easily switch to a new one at any time. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash simplyvanished. 
That's betterhelp.com slash simplyvanished. We've all heard the cliche saying that money can't buy happiness, but let's be real, that's not exactly true, is it? While it is true that wealth cannot buy happiness, the comfort that comes with financial stability and peace of mind can certainly help you smile more. And that's where Chime truly shines. Recently named the number one most loved banking app, Chime helps you stabilize your finances with a few taps on your smartphone. Chime offers payday up to two days early and fee-free overdrafts of up to $200, all with no annual fees, large security deposits, or credit checks. See for yourself why Chime is so loved at chime.com slash simply vanished. That's chime.com slash simply vanished. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank National Association. Members FDIC. Early access to direct deposits depends on payer. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. See chime.com slash spot me. Chime was a 2021 number one most downloaded banking app in the United States, according to Aptopia. Visit chime.com slash simply vanished. Liberty Arms Boat and RV Storage is located in Port O'Connor, 20 minutes from Susie's home. For two and a half days following June 17, 2019, locals noticed a black mobile command center emblazoned with the seal of the Victoria County Sheriff's Office, along with several other trailers camped out at the large storage unit. Of particular note to observers was the truck labeled as coming from Texas State University, which is well known for its forensic anthropology center. As the days passed, Texas Rangers and other law enforcement members oversaw the extrication of cut concrete slabs, rubble, and loads of dirt. For hours, workers using two earth movers removed dirt from one of the storage buildings, resulting in a dirt pile nearing five feet high. Despite inquiries, Chief Deputy Krause refused to reveal the focus of the investigation or what prompted the dig, citing ongoing investigations. We have several things going on in the Port O'Connor Sea Drift area simultaneously, he said. I don't want to compromise any of them by getting specific about anything or anyone. Hopefully, shortly, I will be able to address things specifically. He did make a point to specify that the facility owners had been 100% cooperative and were not suspects in any case. In a Facebook post, the chief deputy seemed to address the ongoing dig, as well as public frustrations. Excerpts of the post read, It is 100% understandable that the public is interested in active cases, especially when they involve local issues. However, there are 100 reasons why law enforcement does not give play-by-play on active cases. There's not a law enforcement agency in America that documents progress on a case as it's being worked. To do so would be a recipe for evidence tampering, alibi invention, and destruction of evidence. When law enforcement doesn't, quote, tell everything they know, it isn't because they are being intentionally clandestine, It's because they are protecting the integrity of an active investigation. What isn't helpful is when people post speculation on social media regarding things that are not accurate and aren't based in fact. In the end, the search appeared to have been unsuccessful as nothing seems to have come from it. The closest information we have is that in 2020, on the two-year anniversary of Susie's disappearance, Calhoun County Sheriff Vickery, while still declining to discuss details, stated that the lead that led them to Liberty Arms Storage Facility was still active. He also stated that Susie's disappearance was not considered a cold case and that it was still actively being investigated. Despite the chief deputy's previous plea, and as they were lacking official answers, the public speculation continued. According to the Liberty Arms Facebook page, construction on Building 2, which was the focus of the search, occurred between June and December of 2018. 
With Susie's disappearance falling neatly within that time frame, locals felt that the recent dig was connected with Susie's case and speculated that perhaps she had been hidden within the foundation during its build. Thoughts on the foundation dig was not, of course, the only topic of speculation. The town, small as it was, was rampant with rumors, posting many of these stories and speculation, some of it contradictory to one another, on the Finding Susie Facebook page. Now, near the beginning of this episode, we stated that it was unclear who exactly notified the police about Susie missing. The earliest reports indicated that it was her husband, Chris. Chris, who, upon arriving home from work and seeing his four-month-old infant unattended, which was something wildly out of character for Susie, would have notified police. But commenters indicated that this might not have been the case. One person, who identified herself as a cousin of Susie's, stated that it wasn't Chris at all. Instead, she stated it was Susie's sister that notified the police. Apparently, when Susie didn't pick up her seven-year-old from his father's, her ex-husband, he contacted the family, and Susie's sister showed up to the trailer. According to one comment, when she arrived, she saw Chris cleaning up blood. Another comment alleges that the police found evidence of a cleanup inside the RV, including bleach bottles and bloody rags. When asked about it by the police, Chris allegedly responded that it was Susie's period blood that he was cleaning up. Now, this version of events would explain why a police search of the area didn't begin until around 11 o'clock that night, even though Chris had clocked out of work at 7, which is something his workplace did confirm. And it would also explain why police were so certain early on that Susie wasn't voluntarily missing. However, it does not explain why police would have given zero indication that Chris might have been a person of interest. Indeed, he was allowed to leave the area to stay with his parents in the days following Susie's disappearance. While some did criticize him for that decision, others pointed out that without Susie, he was attempting to take care of a four-month-old in a place where he had no support network. And in addition to that, the police had seized the RV that he was renting in order to process it for evidence, so he also no longer had a place to stay, which makes his choice to leave seem quite natural. Another thing that people have latched onto is an alleged discrepancy in the way that Chris described his baby drinking from her bottle. In one interview, he said that he arrived home and walked in to find her holding the bottle that she was drinking from. In another, he apparently said that the bottle was propped up with a pillow so that she could drink. While it's understandable that any change to his story can be considered suspicious, it's also possible that his baby drinking her bottle unaided versus with the help of a pillow may not have been an important distinction to him at the time of that initial interview, even though the time difference between a four-month holding a bottle versus from one that was propped up may have been a crucial detail in the investigation. Others questioned if the bottle was warm or cold, full or nearly empty, and was it fingerprinted to help find out if someone other than Susie had prepared it? While the police have certainly also considered these questions, they have not shared anything with the public on the matter. If any conclusion can be made, it's that Susie almost certainly knew her assailant, or rather that Susie was a deliberate target. Susie's RV was situated on Loop Road, which, as its name suggests, is a loop. There was no cross traffic that would have somebody randomly stumble across her. And even if she had left her RV to do laundry, as she told Chris she was doing, again, Seadrift was a tiny town of only 1,500 people in 2018. A stranger with ill intentions just happening upon her in that moment and then following her home seems incredibly unlikely. It remains a mystery of who would want to harm a 25-year-old mother of two and stay-at-home mom. Some, citing how pretty Susie was, suggested trafficking, although there was no evidence of this. 
Others suggested relationship issues, as both Chris and Susie had ex-partners, which might have caused jealousy or anger. A woman identifying herself as Chris's ex denied this completely when it was brought up in a Facebook post. She said in part, Christian is not a violent person. Everyone who knows him knows he's always got a smile on his face. He's a loving man and would do anything for his family. My girl stayed a month over the summer. Christian and Susie didn't have any relationship problems. Like I said before, she is perfect for him. Now, from what info I've been given is Christian was completely cleared. They did investigate as protocol in these types of situations. Of course, I check on the father of my children. I'm not heartless, and our daughter is concerned about him as well. When questioned in the comments, she added, quote, No, he's not violent. I think I would know being I was with the man for eight years and know him better than any of you. Everyone that knows him back home knows he would never do anything to harm his family. And also, quote, I don't know everything about the relationship, but from everything I heard, there wasn't any issues. I'm sure my children would have mentioned something from being over there. The closest evidence that we found of possible trouble in Susie's personal life came from a statement by her uncle in 2020 when he said that weeks before her disappearance, she had texted him asking him to pray for her because she had received threats and was worried for her safety. There were no further details provided, and even her mother seemed unaware that Susie felt threatened. In fact, her mother, Maria del Consuelo, recalls last speaking to her daughter right before she left to visit family in Mexico. She's quoted as saying, I told her I'm leaving. Take care. She responded, don't worry, mom. I'll be okay. I'll take care of myself. I told her, take care of your children. And she said, don't cry, mom, because I'll be fine when you come back. The family's frustration, their desperation is palpable. In that 2020 interview that you just talked about with her uncle, he complained that the authorities had failed to yield results despite evidence of foul play, evidence that he considers substantial. He said, quote, There is proof that something bad happened to my niece. In an appeal to the community, he asked that anybody who has information come to the family rather than the police. And he promised specifically that they wouldn't share that with law enforcement. Predictably, Sheriff Vickery expressed that he doesn't think it's a good idea to bypass the police, stating that it is vital that all evidence be properly gathered and preserved in order to be presented at trial. I understand the frustration, he said. We would like to see it solved as much as anybody else does because it hits home. You were talking about a small town, and none of us would like to see this in a town where we live and work. Understand that we are doing everything we possibly can, and we are never going to give up. You know, if I am lucky enough to serve in this position 20 more years, even after that, I still won't be giving up if it's not solved by then. I just, I'm not, give up is not in my vocabulary. I don't give up. And on something like this, you know, I look at it as if it were my kinfolks as, as well as theirs. I mean, you, you just, to be able to give somebody the answers, sometimes you can't give them the one they want to hear, but that doesn't mean you quit looking. You know, you keep searching for that answer. You keep searching for that piece of evidence that, you know, I would pray that she did take off somewhere and we end up finding that, you know, she's up in New York or something. That would be absolutely wonderful. I'd throw a party. But I can't say one way or the other because I don't know. We don't have that intel, that information, that that lead that, you know, that one rock we flip up and, that, oh, there it is. Since Susie was last seen, in addition to not seeing her children, she has missed the passing of her brother, Arnaldo, who was hit hard by the absence of his sister. 
At his funeral, their uncle said, My nephew Arnaldo didn't die from physical illness. He was seeing a therapist. He sought out professional help after Susie disappeared, but it wasn't enough. Arnaldo wouldn't eat, and he didn't even enjoy being around his family anymore. My nephew died from depression. Her parents have since moved houses, at least in part because this new place wouldn't be so heavily infused with memories of their children who were now lost. The family remains strong in their faith and credit God and prayers for getting them through difficult times. As her uncle stated, it hasn't been easy, but I think God has really helped us go through this difficult moment, and all the prayers for her and our family. At the time of her disappearance, Susie Escobedo was 25 years old, Hispanic, with brown hair and brown eyes. She's 5'5 and 140 pounds. It is unknown what she was last wearing. Although she had sent Chris a selfie in a black and white striped maxi dress on the day of her disappearance, family recalled that she had taken pictures in that dress a few days earlier, so it's possible the photo was taken then rather than when she had sent it to her husband. If you have any information concerning the whereabouts of Susie Escobedo, please contact us at 415-969-LOST. That's 415-969-5678. You can also leave tips anonymously at simplyvanished.com or find information to contact the Calhoun County Sheriff's Department. This podcast will be off for Christmas and New Year's, but will return on January 9th. I've been searching in the dark Trusting every clue I've Truth has not been told Cause every corner of these woods is hollow I can't see in the dark Where are you? Where are you?
is the river.